I am um, sending him. We're we're not, or at least I'm. I don't know about him. I'm not gonna. I, don't, I guess let you hear whatever like the equivalent of show you um, would be the uh, jingle we're working on until it's done. So I'm sending him the audio of just me, uh, like kind of giving him the melody with the words, mm-hmm. and he's gonna see if he can uh, put some guitar behind it and uh if he can send me that separately then i can layer that and i think i can just as easily like put a a quick little drum track behind it and if his guitar notes aren't that complicated like my my feel for it is like real just kind of um i think it's only like 15 seconds long okay so like in my head like i'm just thinking like it's kind of like like crappy guitar garage band sounding. <laughs> and I mean, not that it's going to be like horrible, but like it doesn't like the the point is for it to not sound, you know, hundred percent polished. Okay. Um, it's a lot it, of work for a 15 second clip. <laughs> it, dude, it's totally worth it. <laughs> totally worth it. The effort is, it goes into the creative process. It doesn't, doesn't need to be, like I said, polished and sounding ultra professional. It's, it's just the creative process. So, I mean, I feel like you're putting more, like, it's gonna, it's gonna, I feel like either way, we, we using like real instruments and all that stuff, it's gonna <laughs> sound like the most professional part of this podcast. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Brian and Super Friends. I'm your host, Brian Labick, and the only gentleman joining me for this episode is Josh Zorge. Oh, I don't know if I've earned that afforded <laughs> title, but I, I will take it since there's no one else uh, here this week to argue against it. I mean, really, if anybody was here, they'd be a gentleman. It doesn't, I'm not going to throw yeah, out exactly. that title. Yeah, the, fact that, the, title to the everybody. fact that they're not, that they're, they're in no position to take my, my, my moniker away. Screw <laughs> them. Who do they think they are? <laughs> Not Kingsman, that's for sure. Screw them. Um, all right, so if you haven't guessed uh, on this episode, we're going to get back to a good old-fashioned mover review, uh, which I, we haven't done one, I think, for a while. I think the last one I did was for Spider-Man. That was back in July. Mm, so it's been yeah. like a good two, two and a half months, I think. So we're, we're due for a movie review, so this works. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about Kingsman the Golden Circle, which actually, I think, oddly enough, was, I think, like the first... I think the first Kingsman... If I'm remembering correctly, uh, it was the first movie review I really did for a podcast. I think back when we were doing Geekologist, I think that was the first one that I covered for a show. Oh, cool. So it's all coming full circle, or the golden circle, if you will. Boom. Uh, uh, segues Boom. are somewhat terrible. Um, all right, so I think uh, Josh and I were sort of talking even before we started recording that uh, the first Kingsman, or maybe... Um, I don't. Did we do list for 2015 for our favorite movies? I can't remember um, if we did went that far back for, or not. Yeah. So we yeah we did favorite for 2015. We did that at the beginning of 2016. But didn't the first Kingsman come out in 2014? Uh, oh crap! You're gonna test my knowledge now. I'm gonna have to check IMDb. I thought because I remember putting it. I could have sworn I remember putting Kingsman on a 
like a favorites list of mine. So I thought it had to have been 2015, but now I'm not sure. Nope, nope. You are right. No, the, the, that's because I always messed that up because IMDb, like the official tag they put on is 2014. That's probably when it first had its premiere or something. But no, you are right. It's uh, initial like worldwide worldwide release was February 2015. So okay. I stand corrected and look like a schmuck already this early <laughs> into the show. You take your time to course correct us after when you're listening to it and have time to look everything up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, I know it was on my list. Do you remember if he was on, I'm assuming it was on your list too for 2015, which I don't have readily available because mm. I don't think I wrote all that shit down back whenever we did it. Yeah, I don't. And I never actually took the time to go back and listen to that episode to see if it was who else talked about that movie. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I even have that anymore. I definitely still have my 2016 lists of like anticipated for 2016, favorites of 2016. I don't think I go back that far. I don't think I kept my documents from that far. Okay. Um, either way, it was one of my favorites from 2015. Josh and I had the Golden Circle on both of our most anticipated for 2017 lists. I mm-hmm. think actually we tied. I think we're both number six for that one. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I do have that list with me. I don't know if anybody else actually had this movie that they were looking forward to. Oh, Mike had it. Romano had it on his number nine. Okay. Uh, Bradley did not. Didn't Matt. And I sworn Matt did. Matt did not. Matt did not. Close. What the frick's wrong with you? So, yeah. We, I guess we were the ones that, out of the five of us that did it, we were the ones that were most anticipating this movie. <laughs> well, then it's apropos that we are here, because apparently yeah. no one else really cared about it. <laughs> not enough to go see it that first weekend and come on and talk about it in any way. No, not at all. Um, all right, so before we get into specifics, just I'm going to assume that there's some people listening to this podcast that haven't seen the movie yet. Uh, so what we're going to try to do, we'll try to just talk general impressions of the movie, what we thought, what we can cover... Uh, I don't know, sort of like a mini review, I guess, if you want to call it that. So, what are some of your general impressions of the Golden Circle? Um, I thought it was strong for a sequel. Um, there was definitely some like big, huge left turns that it took at times mm-hmm. that I they wasn't seeing coming. Um, now not having any exposure to the you know comics or or graphic novel series uh that you know these are based on i I don't know how much any of the stories that they're crafting for the films adhere to any of that or if they follow any of the you know major uh plot arcs right right of of any of those um um, i said i think it was strong for a sequel i think i think the like i think matthew vaughn did a good job in replicating those elements that made the first one successful and different with meshing a lot of the different action and shooting styles um, without seeming like he was just making the same movie over and again. Right, right. I mean, there was definitely a couple of beats or sequences where it nearly felt like a carbon copy of certain scenes, and we'll get into that later um, with the more like spoiler detailed mm-hmm. review, but... Um, other than that, I'd say like 90 to 95% of the movie felt, um, really solid. Okay. Uh, do you prefer it to the first one or you still like the first one better? <laughs> well, it's funny cause we, we did not get around to watching the first one again before we 
went to see this the other night okay. and I, I think we had actually only watched the first movie once. Um, obviously we liked it a whole lot cause I was looking forward to this one, but I, I think we, but when well, we might both like my wife and I, Sarah, um, sh- we realized about like 15 to 20 minutes into the movie, you know, she says, I think we thought we remembered the first one a lot better than we actually do. <laughs> yeah, because that's it's one thing that I I don't I didn't watch it before I the first one before I saw the second one either, and now I'm wishing I would have yes. because yes. like this one starts and it's basically expecting you to remember characters and events from the first movie. Yes, and I was actually a little bit surprised how closely this one ties to the first one. Yes, but you know what I. I kind of appreciated that because other than maybe like the MCU there's not like I I, I kind of miss that to some degree like there's obviously yeah, yeah. a very strong ongoing you know linear direct narrative um, that after the events of the you know the events in the lives of these characters here's where we pick up them in a little bit in the future but Things were very impactful. There's still uh, residuals from those first events that you saw that are still getting worked out. Mm. Um, you know, the, I, I, I think I think movie studios are so worried anymore, to some degree, about alienating an audience who hasn't seen the first movie or the previous chapter. And so we got to make a self-contained story so that we can still bring them in. Like, well, well no, if you're not that big of a fan if you didn't care like start at the like i don't you wouldn't pick up like a harry potter book four in the middle like like not having read any of the previous ones yeah like it just makes sense not to do that and i think they've catered in some degrees with some franchises just so worried to make um like i said these like self-contained things um that i i liked how much because you 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 felt that you still felt a strong connection to the characters because yeah. because they were obviously still impacted by the events of the previous story. So you've stayed with the emotional baggage that they've carried on with them. It wasn't like you were just starting fresh again. Right. Yeah, I think uh so you know, with that being the case, if you haven't seen if you're listening to this and haven't seen the first Kingsman, definitely watch that before going to see the Golden Circle. I think you'll appreciate the Golden Circle a lot more. Very much. Definitely recommend that. Um, cause it's not like, uh, you know, this franchise, I guess we can call it a franchise now if there's even, I guess, you know, just two of them, that's enough. We'll call a franchise, or at least they probably want to get a franchise out of it. But this is probably being compared to like James Bond and that kind of spy genre stuff. James Bond, a lot of those movies you can just watch individually and they don't oh, yeah. really connect to each other between the first one and this one. This is not that I, I, again, I double down and say that I definitely think you need to watch the first one before watching the second one. Agreed. Because I think they they gave, we'll get into specifically, I guess, sort of what happens when we get to the spoiler part, but they gave at least one character that was sort of a throwaway in the first one stuff to do in this one, which I liked and I appreciated that. Very much. And I think, I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about this time, so. Yeah, he like opens the movie and just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, I was still surprised, like, how quickly this movie starts. Oh, yeah, it hits the ground running. Like, the opening sequence is, like, balls to the wall right away. Yeah. I I still don't know if I like that. I I can't decide if I like that or not. 
Like it, it definitely it like caught you, me off guard. You, you definitely like it, it pulls you in with that. And then, you know, it just kind of keeps going from there. And there's not too many times to like, just kind of take a breath. I don't feel like, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I, maybe I'm just used to easing into things a little bit more, but yeah, that was, that was real quick. It was, but I mean, you figure in the first chapter, they already had the explanation as to how your main character gets from his beginnings to get into this organization. Uh-huh. Then you have the actual conflict and plot itself, and then your character arcs and your surprises and your resolutions, etc. You didn't really have to do that with your main group of characters yet. You just needed to eventually introduce the arc of the conflict. And then, you know, what is going to be the growth of our characters as we go through this second chapter? So what I what I also appreciated was that the opening sequence wasn't just and this is what I was worried about as I was watching it was it wasn't just this you know several minute um stylized cool looking thing for entertainment value it actually played into the rest of the entire plot of the movie yeah I mean they basically get into the plot from the first scene yeah, I guess it's similar to like James Bond, like cold opens. Uh, somewhat, yeah, yeah. But a I lot feel, of those, I, I mean, are like a lot of the cold opens for James Bond. There's just like a snippet of a mission that has nothing to do with the overall plot. This one is right. And gives you that it just fast-paced like a, action. See, yeah, and like you were saying, it sets up the plot to move forward. Yeah, which again, you know, you already brought up the the Bond parallel, and that's what I one thing that I think it sets it apart. Where the Bond film specifically will open with that to set the mood and get the movie going and you know get get the audience ready so you're not starting with something slow and and uh you know slumberous um but i did appreciate that while you got that it wasn't just a throwaway scene for like cool factor right it actually did play into the story um i don't really like i'm trying to think of like what else i can talk about generally and i just (laughs) i keep wanting to talk about specific things so i don't know how much more we want to cover generally well, I would say, okay, so if you're, if you haven't seen either of these films, or if you did see the first one, um, if you saw the first movie and you liked it, you will, I think, 90% chance you will really dig this sequel. If you haven't seen either of them and you're kind of curious, definitely watch the first one again. Uh, we're going to emphasize that. Watch the first one before <laughs> you see this one. But it's a really cool mix of stylized action it, it, it's a mix mash actually of different types of stylized action shooting with drama with comedy with spies with espionage um it's a, a a good like melting pot of genres and i think that's why i dug the first one so much and this carried it on like i said very successfully yeah if you're if you don't know anything about these and you're looking for a james bond equivalent that is heavy on gadgets and the fun of James Bond and you don't want Jason or yeah, you don't want James Bourne. Yeah. Uh, give these a shot. Cause I think they, they might fit what, what is sort of missing right now in that kind of genre. Yeah. Which I would say actually have, in my opinion, I mean, maybe not so much the, the, the Daniel Craig bonds got much more, uh, hardcore or gritty with the fight scenes. Yeah. But, um, I mean, if you like that, part of Jason Bourne necessarily like the the like hand-to-hand combat and and things in these movies um 
are actually really well done and and pretty rough i think like yeah. it, it doesn't look like a it doesn't look like a dance it doesn't look like choreography at the same time though i think this movie is definitely like tongue in cheek and like you can tell they're they're playing it up as i don't know how to describe it other than like they're sort of having fun with it and not yeah. like taking it as deadly serious as like daniel craig's james bond is definitely so that you know they might have that good choreography for fight scenes and stuff like that it's comparable to daniel craig's james bond or jason bourne it's just that i think they play it in a different light that i think works better or at least for this style of movie it works better i guess yeah all right so i think that's probably i don't know where we're gonna stop for mini review type of general impression stuff uh so if you've seen the movie we're gonna go into spoilers um get into the specifics of all this stuff so if you haven't seen it and you haven't seen the first one go back watch both of them come back to us after that uh pause us now this is your final spoiler warning for kingsman the golden circle spoiler spoiler you know something like that all right so we are in the spoiler zone we can talk about any specifics from the movie we want to which is probably where we're really going to dig into this movie uh so hopefully you're still with us so where do you want to start for specifics and spoilers uh, well, first, uh, Marty needs to get back to the year 1955 to <laughs> help, uh, make sure that his parent, no, I don't, can we give spoilers for other movies? <laughs> I mean, I guess that's <laughs> fine. Um, I don't know. Okay. So I will say, I, I don't know why this jumped out at me so much, but it's above all, this is just stuck out of my head. Um, why was Channing Tatum in this movie? I was thinking that he didn't have much to do. No. Like, like you barely even needed, you really didn't even need that character, much less an actor of that notoriety to fill it. Actually, what I read from somebody involved with the movie, I can't remember, it might have been Taron Edgerton in an interview or something like that, but okay. uh, Tatum, Tatum's character, Tequila, had a bigger part in the film, but due to scheduling, they had to cut him back. I actually think he was supposed to be tag teaming with Eggsy for for the whole switzerland mission okay but because tatum was unavailable they wrote in somebody else to go with him hmm all right i mean it was just a very like at that point it almost like it really did feel and because they kept him they kept channing tatum in all of the trailers and previews and like made sure to give him billing in those like come see this movie channing tatum's part of the cast now yeah and yeah, that's pretty much all you see of him is in the trailer, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, he basically has, like, that one key scene where, you know, he confronts them in the distillery, and they have, like, that pretty cool fight, but yeah. other than, well, I mean, even that, at that point, it's actually kind of short, but, I mean, then very soon after, he basically goes incapacitated, and he's out, li- like, literally on ice until the rest of the, yeah. until the end of the movie, so, um, I mean, that, it, it, it stuck out like such a sore thumb to me. That yeah. I think I think I was just surprised by it more than anything else. Which I'm kind of just hoping if they do a third one, that they're just saving him for the third one. And and it felt like that last scene where I mean, first of all, he looked ridiculous in that suit and that bowler hat. What I thought he looked good. Well, he just just his build, his like facial structure. I'm not, I'm not saying he looked like an idiot. It just like, <laughs> if he wanted to be ironic, you're jealous. And admit wear, it. Oh yeah. <laughs> like if he wanted to be ironic in real life and wear that as his Halloween costume, like Channing Tatum could do that. But <laughs> like he, it, it just and, and like I'm sure they weren't going for like uh, the utmost seriousness 
when he shows up in you know England in that suit or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I mean, given that, it definitely right. It felt like that was alluding to okay, now what is his capacity going to be with the Kingsmen going forward? So yeah, hopefully yeah. in the next chapter, if that all stays connected, um, it will pay off. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping they get a third one. I think. This one doesn't seem, at least from some of the reviews I was reading and, and listening to, uh, this movie doesn't seem like it's getting as glowing reviews as the first one. It seems a lot more mixed. Okay, I can see that. So I don't know how that's going to translate to box office revenue and this, if it's going to make enough for them to make a third one. I don't know if Matthew Vaughn's going to want to come back for a third one. He doesn't traditionally doesn't do sequels at all. Um. Well, was he going to, I mean, he did first class. Wasn't he originally going to do Days of Future Past? He was going to do X-Men 3, and then didn't. Right. And then they brought him back for first class, and then he was going to do Days of Future Past. Right. right. And then they then he bailed from that one, too. Okay. Um. I mean, I think, like I said, I think he did a good job without, like, just repeating himself over and over. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, if he traditionally doesn't, like, something has to bring him back. And I don't know if it's maybe just these characters in this franchise that he's a little bit more drawn to. Maybe mm-hmm. he feels like he has a little bit more freedom with these movies than, say, an X-Men movie. Yeah. Uh, but again, any, if you get one director to sign up for a trilogy of movies, you're looking at at least six to seven years of their life to get three movies out. And some people just don't want to be tied to something for that long. Right. So considering he's done these two so closely together, I, I don't know if he'd need a break before doing a third one, if they'd get him back this quickly to do a third one. And, you know, depending on, again, what the revenue from the box office is, I don't know if they'll be looking to make a third one very soon if it doesn't make that much money. Yeah, that's true. Um, IMDb is listing listing the estimated budget at one hundred and four million dollars, and all right, it's a little bit cheaper than I thought, actually. Yeah, uh, especially with like all the effects, um, like the, the the shooting sequences they had, and they're saying that like the weekend opening box office was about forty million. All right, so it's not terrible. No, and, and I mean considering that, like in its, um, it might even be its second weekend, but like it it's also opening. I mean, for perspective, this was the third weekend that It was out, and It made almost another thirty million dollars. Yeah. Um. So yeah. No- number one, that that movie is just crushing all of the movie dollars right now. <laughs> um. And there's not a whole lot else that really came up yet to blow away the box office. I mean, you had this movie Mother open with Jennifer Lawrence, um, Home Again, like a uh, romantic comedy with reese witherspoon is out uh american assassin opened i think the week before which was actually really cool uh, we can talk about that another time but i saw that i'd check it out if anyone's interested it's a lot better than i thought it would be um but i think like right now like a 40 million dollar opening for this i don't think is that bad considering how slow like other than it how slow the box office is right now well, that's the only thing I'm kind of thinking is, like, for for an opening weekend, I think that's kind of expected. Especially from people coming off the first one, thinking that's what they're getting into, and, like, they're real excited about this one. And then they come out of it with mixed feelings, and that's going to hurt returning, you know, the returning box office for the next couple of weeks. It might have a second coming just because it's going to get closer to Halloween the more it's in theaters. And that could yeah. see a lot more boost in revenue for that movie. Yeah, that's true, too. Um, yeah, this was another one that like the original, I think, you know, we, I think we've talked about this several times when we 
talked about February and winter openings like Deadpool in 2016, uh, throwing Lego Batman and John Wick in February this year. Um, the, you know, King, the, the first Kingsman, the secret service opened February, 2015. Uh-huh. And I don't know what the box office was for it at the time, but, um, if I remember, I think you, at least, if not one or two other people, like independent of yourself, saw the first one either. I don't know. Did you see it in theaters or did you catch it? Yeah. Okay. So you guys, I think, saw it in theaters and then someone else eventually saw it on DVD after its release. And, you know, everyone was raving about it. They said, this is really cool. It's very different. You got to check this out. And so I don't know what the initial box office for the first movie was. But again, like February or some of those off months might be a nice sweet spot for some of these movies. So, you know, it might also, like I said, still be suffering from that really, really like not historic, but um, really low summer box office numbers and August and September box office numbers from this year. Um, it just might still be feeling some of the effects of that. But uh, it's yeah. I'd say it's by no means reflective of the quality of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, a lot of people, well, maybe I'm giving it more credit than I, than it's worth, but I feel like there's a lot of people that wait for reviews and, and look for, you know, that coveted Rotten Tomatoes score that everyone seems to go for or talk about. Yeah. Of course, I don't know what this is. I didn't even look to see what it's rated on Rotten Tomatoes, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, if that has some sort of effect, if people are giving it that type of mixed reviews, if that's going to affect, you know, word of mouth and... Because I think the first Kingsman benefited a lot from word of mouth, like you were saying. I think Agreed. people saw it, so it surprised them. I think it held around in theaters long enough to get a le- probably a little bit of money anyway, I would think, from word of mouth. And then the home video release, I think, definitely helped it too. Because people that didn't catch it in theaters were still hearing good things about it when it came out on video, and people caught it again. Yeah, definitely. So that generated a lot of groundswell for this one. And, you know, most pe- even movies that we review or talk about when we go through our top 10 of the year mm-hmm. the movies that we're looking forward to the most are the ones that typically let us down and if people start looking <laughs> forward to this movie after watching the first one and they don't come out feeling the same way then this movie's a miss for them uh yeah that's true and i mean i can already say um i mean it just so happens that uh this was the last of my 10 i did see that yeah to to see um most of mine were front-loaded in the first two three four months of the year there were one or two maybe in may and june but then yeah i was pretty much waiting until september to cross the last one off the list i mean i can already say that out of my top 10 anticipated maybe at the most four of them are going to make my favorite movies of the year that doesn't mean i don't like them that doesn't mean i don't regret um you know there's a big difference between what am i excited to watch and what ultimately is going to be my favorites or what do I feel are better than others? Right. You know, so uh, there's a good chance like this, if this makes my list, it might perhaps be down the lower and it might be like number nine or 10 um, favorites of the year. But again, I mean, that's not really indicative of like a let down by it. I mean, any, any sequel has heavy lifting to do. Right. Um, I don't want to get into spoilers, for your most into or your favorites list. So we might have to talk after the show, but I feel like I can name your four looking at your list from let from most anticipated what I think I could pick for you. We'll see if I'm right later. Okay. Um, 
All right. So anything, um, do we just want to talk maybe like specifics, what we liked and then go into like what we didn't like and sort of spin from there? Yeah, go ahead. Throw out whatever you want. All right. Uh, stuff that I liked. The first thing that pops into my head is fucking Elton John. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. He was just completely outrageous and I loved him flipping out at everybody. I fucking loved it. I, I, I felt there was like, if they could have pulled it back, maybe like 10% because it... Like, no way! It was just, great. Just a little totally bit. great. Just like totally one, one or one or two little, not even like full sequence outbursts, but just like one or two little bits. Um, I think my favorite one was when um, uh, Julianne Moore is like uh, she's pirated the radio waves and she's giving her presentation to the president and <laughs> yes. go, going through the stages of the of what the disease does. And he's in that last cell when the light turns on and he's just mfing her off and yelling at the guy to get out of his. He, like, cell room and everything. And the guy in the room looks visibly, like, rattled. Like, he's like, I oh, don't yeah. know what to do. How do I control Elton John? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was great. And then, like, when they're, when they're like, smashing the robot dog with the bowling balls, uh-huh. and every time Colin Firth wings around, <laughs> Elton John's giving the figure, fuck you, Poppy! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fuck you! <laughs> and then he saves her, because, like, I thought it was funny at the, the first time um, that you have that moment where the dogs... Um, are in like the dogs encounter him. Oh, right, right. And they're like, Elton John, friend. Yeah. <laughs> identified. And then they kind of, you know, call that back later and it pays off in the bowling alley. Yeah. You know, I, because I remember reading, and I, I can't remember we might have talked about it on the show or not, but that they added Elton John to the cast. And I was thinking, oh, he's a perfect fit for Kingsman. Yeah. He would make a great agent. Mm, okay. He but... was not an agent. He was just himself. <laughs> Which probably, I mean, for the way that they used him, made it much better. Oh, yeah. Like, if they were going to go, like, he's an agent route, he would have probably, like, a much more reduced role, reduced screen time. He would have been, like, um, uh, uh, Michael Gambon was at the beginning of the movie. Like, you got him The for, guy, uh, the seat at the table type of thing. Yeah, uh, Arthur. Yeah. Right, so he, t- you know, t- takes over one of the... um. You know, like long, long-standing legacy leadership roles or something. He's like right, one right. of those guys that you don't. You kind of get a pop in here and there, but you don't really get much of a payoff for him appearing there. And that, and oh wow, is there a payoff? <laughs> yeah, he would. Oh man, yeah. Everything with him is, is all the scenes with Elton John are the scenes that I feel like I remember most out of this movie. <laughs> I don't know why they just they all seem to stick out with me. Um, I'm oh, sorry. I enjoyed um, whiskey, or I at least enjoyed okay. the, the the action sequences that they built around around him. The one in the snow, I thought was really fucking cool. And I thought it was, uh, you mean like when when he runs out of the cabin and kills all the guys? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and I thought that was hilarious because they just kept showing this juxtaposition of um, Eggsy and. Uh, Colin Firth sitting in there arguing and you just see him kind of at first like in the background or from the side view of the cabin just one by one on his own right. killing like 10 agents of the enemy. Yeah. Even the you know what even the bar sequence too. I really like the bar sequence. Okay. It was reminiscent of the first yes. movie. Yes. Yeah, so that was the one that I, I, I was kind of alluding to in the general overview where it was like one of those sequences that it basically was a complete 100% callback slash carbon copy to the first movie, but you obviously get this little spin on it where it's now this brand new character 
doing it and you kind of see how he would handle himself. Um, how, how did you feel about them doing it that way? Because, I mean, they set it up the exact same way. Like Colin Firth goes to the door, he locks it. He tries to, you know, reinvent himself. He's not quite ready. So this other person has to step up. Um, did you feel it was pandering a little bit because that was such a cool sequence in the first movie or did like, did you, did you appreciate it? Cause it was different with this other guy. So you got to see his skill set. I guess a, a little more to the, that I thought it was a cool thing that I, I enjoyed it. I think it was the first part of it with Colin Firth is meant to be the joke. Okay. Cause, cause you're expecting him to do exact like pick up exactly where he left off in the first one. And that's why they set it up the same way. Cause when he throws that bottle with the umbrella or the glass with the umbrella, you're like, Oh, here we go. Yep. And every beat that he did in the first movie that made him look like a badass, he fails at <laughs> in this sequence in this movie. True. So that's where the joke is. So the, I was cool with that. And then you have to have, I guess at that point, someone step up and take care of these assholes that are in the bar <laughs> and doing it with the Statesman guy with, you know, the bull whip and everything like all that. And, you know, it was one of the better fight sequences, I think, in the movie. So, yeah, I enjoyed most of that, all of that. Okay. Um, I thought the end sequence fight between himself and Eggsy and Galahad was pretty cool as well. I mean, to kind of have like a three-way fight going there with, you know, an, an electrified lasso that could cut you up like the resonant evil force field <laughs> fence thing yeah i thought that was pretty sweet see i think i had more problems with that fight just because of the camera work okay in the in the obviously computer assisted uh parts of that fight sequence like the bar fight they might have had computer effects in there but it's a lot less uh it doesn't stand out as much to me in that sequence the the whole three-way fight at the end in the diner half of that looks completely fake to me that's true. Like the the actual like human characters themselves look yeah. very much. Yeah, you you it's you can absolutely tell where it's all rendered. And part of it, like, there's a lot going on in that fight, and I think the movement of the camera, like, I guess it's it's staged well enough. It's just I think the movement of the camera, you still kind of lose some of the stuff there, and it feels a little bit disorienting. And I don't know if that's just because it's on a big screen. Like maybe it'll it'll play better on a home tv screen like when you watch it at home okay but i'm just thinking specifically like when they follow whiskey when they throw him against the counter and he rolls over backwards and the camera rolls with him so you're basically doing a somersault with him oh yeah yeah that's disorienting to me in the theater when i'm looking at shit like that okay if the camera does too much movement i'm i'm starting to lose it and be like okay this is just like my head hurts it's too much going on i'm it's not as bad as the shaky cam stuff to me. That still is my <laughs> absolute pet peeve. But for me, in fight fight sequences, I'd rather have a steady camera shot or wide angle shots to be able to fit all of the stuff in there and coherently and be able to tell what's going on. A lot of camera movements, to just to me, my personal opinion, it just gets me disoriented. Um. So what was your reaction as it was happening to the ski lift as it was spinning round and round as it was descending did it have the same disorienting feeling to you no because the camera itself is pretty steady during that sequence okay the 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 ski lift itself is spinning yeah but the camera is stationary and you're in there with it spin like the camera is not spinning okay that makes sense yeah yeah 
Like there's there's more like establishing type shots. You're not like zooming in and out of the of the ski lift. You're not going like spinning around it as it's spinning. It's just you're seeing wide shots of it outside. You're seeing inside, and the camera's steady on on the whiskey and Eggsy in there. So no, I didn't I didn't think that was as bad. I'm sure, and like there's a little there's a few shots even in the the opening sequence when uh, Charlie and Eggsy are in the cab fighting. Like a very enclosed space, and the camera's constantly moving around them and through them, oh, to different the, angles and shots. That beginning sequence, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's stuff like that that I find a little bit disorienting. Okay, um, but again, that that's sort of just personal preference, I guess. For me, there's nothing wrong with the fight scene itself. I think, yeah. the, again, the choreography and the fights are cool. I just kind of lose it a little bit with all the camera movements. Um, what did you think of Julianne Moore? as a villain character and specifically like the, the type that she brought. Like, as in like the Martha Stewart type? Almost. Yeah. Like, like the very calm, but like calm and collect, but murderous and like devoid of conscience. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I was okay with like, it, it seemed a little bit far, like verging on parody. Okay. It still kind of fit. I feel like for the world they, they create in these movies. Yeah, I mean, when I thought about it afterward, I'm like, is that really all that different than, like, the plan that Samuel L. Jackson had in the first one? Although, come to think of it, I don't really know what her objective was. Because someone even makes the comment, like, a drug dealer that poisons their own drug supply, what's what's the play there? Just to demand money for an antidote? Is, is that it? Well, she wasn't, she wasn't demanding money for the antidote. Her ransom was the legalization of all substances across the board in the United States. Uh that's right. Okay. And maybe See, that's all lost to me. Oh, see that 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 Now that you I, mention I, it, I, I remember I, that. But yeah, like, in I, the course I of the movie, that. like by the end of that movie, I don't remember anything that she's trying to do. Because her yeah, it, it was just a means to an end. Um it wasn't a threat that she would continue poisoning people by any means. But if the United States um, explicitly puts a ban on making any substance illegal, then everything's legal. And so if she, you know, like she said, she she was sick of having this ultra successful, um, you know, if you will, industry leading uh, drug operation, but she has no uh, public exposure. She has no notoriety. Nobody's uh, giving her accolades for being such a savvy, you know, leader and businesswoman. But if that's a uh, acceptable product and she can just put it on the shelves and, and like she says, even in her video, like make it legal, regulate it, tax it, do whatever you want, but you can't ban it so she just wants the recognition of like hey i made a successful business well and if as successful as she's saying she's been she would continue getting filthy freaking rich right you know because of the the type of operation she's been able to i don't know maybe there's just like maybe maybe i'm getting forgetting it just because i feel like there's a lot of like different subplots and different bits of story going on that i feel like her 
her storyline and motivations are overshadowed, I think, by a lot of other stuff that's going on and becomes mostly forgettable to me by the end of the movie that, again, I don't remember half the shit what she's trying to accomplish other than, like, they have to stop her. Okay, I, I can agree with that. Um, I mean, yeah, as the story goes on, you have the... Well, I guess we can digress and, and bring this up. So, did you... How... How okay or not were you with the justification given for Colin Firth's character still being alive? Now, I think, uh, you know, one, first off the bat, I wish they would never would have put that shit in the trailers. If they would have kept him a secret in the movie, I would have probably appreciated it so much more. Me too. Um, Granted, we had to figure they were going to try to retcon some stuff. And somehow make this work that he still lived in the course of the movie. And again, the universe that they've created with these crazy gadgets and like um, weird kind of stuff that they can pull off. And I, I bought it as explanations go. I didn't think it was terrible. Agreed. Same. I could have done without the amnesia thing, but in the sense, like if you're going to get shot in the head, I feel like they have to give you something. You can't just fully recover from that. Right. So, as much as I feel like the amnesia part was just wasted story time, I feel like they had to do it, if that makes sense. Um, Agreed. I, I think it also, if, if they were going to go about it the way that they did, it actually maybe gave a little bit more credence to the fact that, yeah, they can kind of save someone who's been shot point blank in the face and in the head. But it's not just seamless. There's side effects. Right. It, it takes time. It takes, you know, it might not happen at all. Um, if they had just gone with like, oh yeah, we have this kind of cool thing and yeah, it took a little bit of like rehab, but he was back up in a couple of weeks. Right. You know, w- would, would that have seemed worse than what they went with? And as you know, as you said, you know, they used a good amount of screen time on the, uh, amnesia and the let's bring, Galahad back to himself and let's figure him out. Yeah, but it might have been a necessary journey to take given the potential alternatives they could have offered. Right. Because otherwise you have a you have a way to es- essentially cure death. Yes. Like if you just if you can just bring people back from a headshot without any side effects, that's, you know, the cure all for that. Yeah. And then two, if they brought him back without some sort of amnesia and it's been like what a year? Did they establish a time frame since the first one? A year-ish. That so I was just thinking that I I think at some point doesn't Halle Berry's character say that they've had him about a year? Uh, yeah, I feel like a year sounds right to me. Same. Um. So either way, so if they if they brought him back and you know, saved him from the headshot and he remembered who he was, then it begs the question of like, well, what? Why didn't Harry come back to the Kingsman? If he knows exactly who he is. Right. And then if like you just have him randomly show up somewhere and then he has to go through a bunch of exposition to explain what happened to him anyway. It again, all things considered, this may have been the best way for them to play it if they wanted to bring Colin Firth back. Right. So and I and I do like Colin Firth. I was sad to see him go in the first one. Yeah. Or, you know, quote unquote go. Uh, But at the same time, part of this movie if you know when when you kill someone off in one movie and then bring them back in the next you lose your stakes yes like there's there's not a lot of stakes there for in the in the movies anymore so it didn't seem like they had to kill somebody else just because it's like look death or deaths are permanent now yeah and I, I, you know i 
I think they had to pick somebody else because why spend so much of the movie dealing with the return of Colin Firth and the reinstatement of his persona only to have him die again at the end somehow that would have just been pointless and redundant yeah so yeah unfortunately we well for well to be fair before we lost mark strong we lost everybody yeah which i i was really hoping watching the trailers because you get one glimpse of roxy in the trailer yeah and i'm thinking okay maybe she's got like maybe they're just hiding what she needs to do in this movie to keep it under wraps Nope, that's pretty much all you get from her. She had no purpose in this movie whatsoever. And they effectively kill her off screen, which really kind of pissed me off. Yeah, I I mean, I had mixed feelings of it because at first I didn't think... Like, if it had just been her that got taken out, it had been one thing. Um, but, like, for the first ten minutes after, like, those targets get hit one after one after one after one, I just keep thinking, like, oh, okay, you know, eventually we'll figure out how Roxy escaped and she'll show back up. And then, you know, I think, I think that was their way of establishing the stakes that yeah, yeah. yeah, Colin Firth's and and to be fair, it wasn't like the Kingsmen rescued Colin Firth and were able to, you know, be his miracle savior. You know, it's this other organization, right? Whereas the Kingsmen are all destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. There's a lot wrong, I think, with that sequence to me. One, again, because I think they, they, there's no point in killing Roxy. They don't even really show you that she's dead. Like, Eggsy just says three or four times, you know, they killed Roxy, and that's the best we get, which isn't good enough for me, for someone that was had that much screen time and was a character in the first movie. She uh, deserves more than that if they're going to, if they're going to kill her. I'll, I'll give you that, though. I think it's like the, 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 total destruction of that mansion that you're shown i think it's really left to be very clear that there's no way she made it out and that's another stickler for me is that okay i can understand targeting people's private residence and hitting them with the, with a missile there's nothing there but the freaking kingsman headquarters for all the fucking gadgets they have you tell me they don't have some sort of missile defense system that's gonna stop incoming attacks like that or, or at least give you a better heads up. Uh, yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, I, I, of all the places that got hit, that that mansion, I think, should have been spared by some sort of sweet technology that, again, would have saved Roxy and kept her alive to do something. What, what I wasn't clear about was, just like all the other places, it seemed like the building got hit by a missile, right? By like a projectile mansion yeah yeah i mean maybe my uh thermodynamics and and missile science knowledge isn't up to date but would that have caused such a collapse in like the ground around it. Well, I think it was like a almost like a bunker buster type missile. Like I think the missile went into the ground in front of the the mansion where like their fountain was, and then exploded. Okay. So basically, making a vacant hole underneath the mansion, which then collapsed the ground above, and it caved in. Okay, maybe I'd have to see the sequence again for that to stand out better to me. But yeah, I just of all the other places, they're like, oh look, Eggsy's house blew up. 
Uh, yeah, I think the, those the had suit, direct the, impacts with a missile. Yeah, the, the, the mansion wasn't the suit that. shot blew up, but the mansion was like, oh look, a crater just dissolved under the house like a big giant sinkhole, and it all went away. Yeah, honestly, that shot might even be in the trailer, so you it might is. even be able to just watch the trailer and find it. And yeah, that's see true. what the missile does. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of me, even though again that they've established, or at least they tell us that Roxy's dead, I would not be surprised if they bring her back some way somehow for the third one. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I guess in a way, like, they came up with a way to do it for Colin Firth, but would there, do you think there would be much of a reason to? Other than, like, fan favorite? If she came back, I feel like she'd be a villain. I feel Hmm. like if you're going to bring her back in the next one after a shit-ass death like that, they have to come back a villain. I mean, maybe I could see it that way. I don't know if they could make her, like, the main villain, but it might be... She's like a supporting antagonist. Then again, I guess to your point, like it might feel like a little bit more rehash at this point since we had Charlie and this one is like the right hand guy. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just feel like she deserves more than what she got in this movie. It's just a, it's a shit way to go out. It reminded me in some ways there's there's two examples of when something like this happens that I, I always go to. The first one is Alien 2 and Alien 3. So if you've ever seen Aliens, and then you watch Alien 3, Alien 2 is all about Sigourney Weaver as Ripley uh, eventually locating this small girl on the ship that she's on, keeping her alive. Is that Newt, right? Newt, yeah, for the rest of the movie, which then ends with them both in safety going into, like, hypersleep. There's no tease at the end of that movie. Um, like no like last frame um scare of like oh look there's an alien hand that came around the door or lurking in this room somewhere buried deep in the ship there's nothing it just ends with them in safety and then at the beginning of alien 3 there's like this offhanded comment about how she was like shakespeareanly killed off screen <laughs> like in between the movies yeah and I'm like, well, what the frick? Like, that was the biggest cop out in the world. Like, exactly. Like, you had this whole importance built around her and very integral involvement. And then, well, we don't really want to do anything with that anymore. So we'll just say that she died. Right. Um, That's example one. Example two, (laughs) maybe maybe this is more akin to what we just watched, was um, the Bourne identity. And then the beginning of the Bourne supremacy. Yeah. His uh his his chick lady Marie is killed in like the first like 7 minutes of yeah. supremacy again as like this cornerstone character that you follow all through the first one. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like why why like why even have them in the movie at all? Why is it some kind of behind the scenes thing that they didn't know what to do with the characters? So they just write her off. Well, and they I mean, didn't want her like showing back up later, so they just had to definitively like try to kill her, so she wasn't. Because I understand like this movie revolves around Eggsy and Harry and yeah. their relationship to be get you know they rekindle their relationship and bring Harry back to the fold, and you know Eggsy's still looking for that father figure and stuff like that. Like I get all that. It's just that why even put her in the movie at all if she's gonna do nothing and then get killed off screen? Yeah, I, I if they were gonna do it, I feel like before that happened they should have given her like something pivotal to do that 
maybe it would have even seemed seemed insignificant at the time, but then it would come back around to become useful later. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, maybe they were caught between a rock and a hard place where they're like, we know we don't need to advance the narrative of this character. We don't want to take the cop out and just ignore her, not put the character in the movie and just act like she's not around anymore. Um, but, you know, as a plot point, they also needed to address the fact that Julianne Moore's character figured out and planned and killed all the agents. So, she, I mean, she can't just not be there to begin with. Um, as I said, if, once you decide that you don't need to move forward or you don't want to move forward, I guess it's a rock and a hard place, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't on how you handle it. Well, I mean, you start thinking too, like there's two agents, two, sorry, two female agents in this movie and both of them are basically relegated to IT. Yeah. All Roxy did was be on the computer and give Eggsy information at a dinner and all Halle Berry did was sit in front of the computer with Merlin and do stuff. Yeah. That's true. I don't know. I guess I just kind of expected more and wanted more. I mean, I guess, again, maybe the third one will get more out of Halle Berry since she's been promoted. Um, I'm hoping. Do, do you think they'll continue sort of this, um, I, mean, I, I wouldn't call it a trend yet. It's only the second movie, the first time they've done it. But do you think we'll get introduced to like yet another agency from like maybe another country in the third one? Or they'll just kind of go on an expedition with like the statesmen and the kingsmen now? I mean, I think you run the risk of having too many characters mm-hmm. if you do a third agency. Um, and the way they set this one up at the end, establishing that, again, basically the Kingsmen are wiped out. The only people that are left are Harry and uh, Eggsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that Statesman, more or less, is part of Kingsman now or vice versa, whatever. Yeah. It seems like they're one agency now between the two, you know, the U.S. Uh, version of it and the London version Okay. So I see that as that's just one group. So I see that the sequel is doing just all the same characters we've seen, just doing other things together. Okay. Because I was actually kind of hoping, you know, when the when the climax sort of happens with the movie, I was hoping Halle Berry would just kind of show up and, like, help them. Like, look, I'm capable because I set this up earlier of being, you know, wanting to be an agent, but I keep getting turned down. Well, here's how I prove myself, being an agent. And then that still didn't happen. Hmm, that's a good point. Although... In her role at the time, since Mark, like since Merlin was out of the picture, uh-huh. like maybe you kind of needed at least one person helming that control True. room role. True. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, I, the I, arguments I take your can point, be made though. on both sides, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I take your point. Um, where I think. I feel like we started this discussion with stuff we liked. So is there anything else that we <laughs> liked that we want to talk about? Um, I, I will actually, I'll give some props to Taron Egerton. Um, I, I do think he carried the character well. I believed his arc through this chapter of it. It didn't seem forced. He seems very comfortable in mm-hmm. that character. Very natural. You know, he reminds me of, he reminds me of, um, how natural Chris Pine felt in the first Star Trek as okay. yeah yeah as um as uh god damn it Kirk Kirk thank you <laughs> I was like Shatner no Shatner's a person <laughs> Sh- Shatner's not a fictional character um yeah it, it 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 just felt like he's very comfortable in those shoes and 
he very easily transforms from I'm an actor into Hare's Eggsy. And you yeah. believe you're watching Eggsy the whole time, not an actor play a role. Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised, I guess, how emotional I got with some of the scenes with him. Okay. And it, it's like, it's small stuff. There was There's a scene in the beginning when he... I forget it was it was before his dinner with uh his girlfriend's parents. He's leaving <laughs> yeah. to go to the office in the morning. She sets up like the breakfast thing. She's like, Oh, we're gonna practice. Yeah. He flashes back to him and Harry yep. going over the cutlery and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And you see him visibly, like his lip starts to quiver and shake when he starts thinking of Harry, and then he has to turn around and talk to the dog and then come back and he's visibly shaken but he's trying to hold it under control little things like that like i appreciate that like that yeah. hit me for some reason yeah and yeah and again it, it he pulls it off very naturally where it doesn't seem forced right, um, because, yeah. because moments like that are um you know very much a trope at this point where oh i'm reminded of something that's calling back a powerful memory of association and it is impacting me look how it is impacting me i am torn up possibly distraught (laughs) you know but it it is very he found the right balance in those moments yeah it's very subtle like he you can tell he gets choked up a little bit his voice cracks i think a little bit even too when he's trying to talk Mm -hmm. it's just like barely keeping it together and i don't know that that specifically that scene stands out to me yeah um trying to think if there's anything else um oh i i did sort of enjoy i like i like that they brought back the princess and like her and Exy are together now yeah it took so that was one of the other uh things that sarah and i said like oh man we should we really should have watched the first one again because we're like until the until they like named her he called her princess or they went to be like dinner with her parents yeah like the whole time like is that the chick from the end <laughs> of the first one or not I don't know of, be, because she's not she's not like an actress that I recognize readily. Like these right. two movies are the only things I've ever seen her in. I will say that uh and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but when he first comes home uh-huh. after being in the sewer and smells like shit and all that stuff. Yeah. And you see his girlfriend from behind in the mirror like you don't see her face, you just see her long hair from behind. Okay. For a second I thought it was Roxy, like him and Roxy were together now. And it wasn't until like she turned around and you saw her face, I was like, Oh no, that's not her. That's that's the princess lady. Oh, okay. So I mean I get it makes sense in the course of the movie, like, you know, the way the first one ended and the way this one starts that they would be together and, and that could work, but I would not have been sad if him and Roxy were together. Really I like I'm really championing Roxy here. Like she needs to <laughs> again, she needs to have something to do. Granted, I don't know what she would have done if she was just sort of relegated to like Eggsy's girlfriend, but since the both of them are Kingsmen, I feel like she would have been on like equal footing with him. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it all, I think it also would have, um, it would not have disappointed anybody if, you know, the strange anal joke at the end of the first movie was just like this self-contained thing that happened, and there was no continuing narrative with those characters. It's the it's the James Bond thing. James Bond always sleeps with the women at the end of the movie, and then you go on to the next movie, and he's with somebody else. Exactly. So, I mean, they could have gone that way, and actually, if they had, then, you know, getting into his and Roxy's relationship just 
a little bit. And then if Roxy gets taken out, then it's much more impactful. Right. Yeah, they they could have gone that route, but I don't know, maybe then they thought they wouldn't have all these other um, you know, subplot points to draw from to move the overall story forward and I don't know. And I was I mean, they, they just, had options. I don't I don't know if we want to touch on this now, but there was I was thinking like to to suggest the question of like what do we think or prediction wise could happen for the next one? Mm-hmm. Like some of the storylines this thing sets up. Hmm. And I think the way Eggsy keeps talking about, like, I don't know how he would work as a prince, especially given his line of work, which I think is an interesting thing to set up for a potential sequel. But at the same time, I don't know if they could play with that as much. Like, I feel like they'd set that up to be like, oh, this is going to be a problem. And then I feel like either they're going to stick with it and try to, you know, have him try to lead this double life type thing, which is, you know, that's hit or miss depending on the movie and how it's handled. Um, the other option I see is that they, they kill the wife, like the, the princess is going to be killed and then Eggsy's out for like a revenge mission. Um, mm, yeah, I, I, it could be, I, um... I don't feel like it with the time, like as much as they play sort of like happy life type of thing in this one, I yeah. don't feel like the spy genre ever really has like happy endings. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the only way they could go with it would be that the way that he's able to carry on is sort of like hiding right out there in the open. Okay. You know, he, he is the married prince, you know, into the family of, you know, a royal family. So who in the world would ever expect or be looking for him to be you know, a world I mean, are, we, are they going to go assassin. like, but are they going to go like the Superman route and like, oh, he puts on glasses. So I now I don't know who he is. Like if he's that public of a figure and he's out in public doing spy things, it's not like, I, I don't yeah. feel like it's too hard for people to be like, oh, that's the prince. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess it'd have to be a lot more covert. Um, but I mean, up until. Because the beginning of this yeah. movie sets up like they do not do stuff in public. He can't fire missiles from a taxi cab in the middle of downtown. Yeah, that's true. Because even if, like, like, like in this movie, like, if someone like Charlie becomes disenchanted and they're pissed and they're out for revenge, like, there are people who know certain people's identities as Kingsmen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I it, Again, it's something they might find a creative way to do it. I can't think of how they could do it at this time. So, I feel like the only other alternative is to s- scrap that idea. And the only way to scrap that idea in my mind is to get rid of the thing that's making him a prince, which is the wife. So I don't know. That's just sort of my thoughts for the next one if they decide to go that route. Um, any other uh, stuff that you liked you want to touch on? Otherwise, maybe we'll just spin to stuff we didn't like and see where that leads us. Um, I mean, like for some reason, like specifics aren't necessarily standing out. I I, I think a movie like this. The reason I like it is the sum of its parts, not necessarily maybe as much individual elements. Okay. Um, and that's why I really dug about the first one. And probably, I mean, once, you know, if, if a third one is announced, whenever we get an official release date and we get to the point where we're doing like anticipated movies for that year, there's a good chance, you know, Kingsman 3 for me will end up on that list still. Um and and even if we transition to you know criticisms of the movie or or just low points for us, 
I don't know if I have all that much that we haven't kind of hit on already. Um, was there, was there anything else for you that, uh, really like didn't hit I the think mark? Nothing. I think, I think most of the stuff I talked about, the, the Roxy thing bugged me. I have the note for that. Um, the missile defense system bugged me. We talked about that. Um, some of the camera work we talked about, uh, I guess it, one of the criticisms like I keep hearing people level at this movie is that it's too long. Like it's, hmm. it's like what two twenty two hours, 20 minutes, something like that. So, which got me thinking like what in this movie feels unnecessary and that it could be cut. And I feel like most of the sequences with Eggsy and his friends can be cut. I, I don't think they brought anything to the movie other than his friend that, I mean, I guess that birthday party, little, the quick little birthday party thing at the, at the beginning sets up his friend to die when the missile attack happens, but you see quick flashes of his friends later on in the movie, I guess it's just to establish like, Hey, look, there's people we sort of know may die from this thing, but I, I don't feel like they had a part in there at all that they didn't need to be there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it could have trimmed down a little bit, but I don't know. I think the I, most I time-consuming thing for me that felt unnecessary was Whiskey's turn. Yes. I I will give you that. Uh, it felt like they could have... Not that it was forced, but honestly, I feel like it came out of nowhere. Yeah, because they had to do go through... Not a, you know, they had to go through their exposition point that was like, oh, this is exactly why he's doing what he's doing. And I was completely it almost felt like the ending had like two or three endings like i was completely ready for them to overdose um poppy yep get the code save the day and be done but then it's like nope we just need a big extended fight sequence after the big extended fight sequence we just had so let's throw a whiskey in the mix but at the same time like him being shot in the head and the whole like like after getting the antidote and Harry shooting him, that whole sequence serves a purpose because you're not sure if Harry's just crazy. Like, he's not fully recovered, so that has a purpose. Right. But at that point, like, I don't know if he needed to come back. Like, I feel like you could have just left Whiskey dead and just left that question sort of hanging there if if, if Harry is crazy or not. Okay. I don't, I don't. Of course, I don't know how you solve that if Whiskey doesn't come back and confirm, yes, I'm. I'm trying to stop this. Yeah, what I thought was strange uh, that they could have maybe done better is intertwine the reveal because, like, they, right, they overdose Poppy and they're pretty much ready to end, and then you have like this, you know, Lord of the Rings ending where nope, we got another <laughs> ending. Yeah, where they could have intertwined the reveal of his uh, double cross, his ulterior motives. They could have intertwined that with the resolution of Poppy better. Rather than just having it, here's the resolution of Poppy, and now we're going to move on to the resolution of Whiskey. Right. Or even, like, granted, it seemed like he was out, like, for himself, but if you're yeah. going to have him turn, just have him be a mole. I think that would yes. fit and and sort of flesh out Poppy more, instead of having, like, another subplot that we're trying to figure out and connect to. It just seems a little bit convoluted. Yeah, it does. Like, I, like at some point... Yeah, if if they needed to deal with him for his, for the same motivations that he had, that could have happened before they get to Poppy. Yeah. Or like I said, intertwine it with that sequence with her. So whis either they're dealt with simultaneously or whiskey's 
you know, interference is dealt with and then you just wrap things up with her basically in the same way that they did. But yeah, it felt like the movie was about to almost be over. Like, okay, we're done. And then like, oh yeah, that thing that we were setting up, now it's going to pay off. Yeah, I feel like if they if they brought him back at the end, at least just in my mind, I'm trying to piece it together. You have Charlie face off against Eggsy, and as Colin Firth is moving on Poppy, it's revealed that Whiskey is the mole, mm-hmm. and then Colin Firth has to fight Whiskey. I think that would be the way to do it, and then after the whole fight sequence between the four of them is over, mm-hmm. two on two, whichever they try to do, that's when you get the coat, the overdose from Poppy, and sort of it sort of ends a little bit more mellow, I guess. Okay. Instead of on, like, Instead an adrenaline of, kick. Right. Like, I don't know if they just felt like they just had to keep upping their game as they go through the movie. Maybe. Um, you know, I don't... We talked a lot about other stuff, but I don't know if we really dove into what we thought about the Statesmen and their organization. Not yet. So, let's go there. What did you What did you think of the addition of the, the Statesmen? Um, while I thought it was fun to have this like parallel organization brought in um overall like other other than giving you a reason for whiskey to exist and be involved with the two of them with with Exy and Galahad yeah like i feel like the rest of the organization overall played just about about as much importance as you know Tanning Chatham in and of himself like Jeff Bridges really didn't like he I mean he's the stand-in for the head of an organization because they kill Michael Gambon at the at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. So you don't have one of those for the Kingsmen, so you need one of them from somewhere. So that's the role he's fulfilling. And and yeah, you're given Halle Berry as this parallel to Merlin and you know now that I mean well we didn't really even get there yet, but um you know Merlin gets killed everybody unfortunately, but um, spoiler yeah <laughs> but um <laughs> i actually i i was okay with that wrap up i i liked how they handled that but you know then you're introduced to this contemporary of his which really like you're you're wrapping up merlin's story but really what you're doing is continuing it through the role of halle berry yeah um so like i guess i i i feel like they i think it was fun and it was a fun element to have there, but really like other than giving us whiskey to be the other guy on the team, to go on the, um, to go on the mission with the organization itself didn't really, like it wasn't really all that important. It didn't seem central. Like you said, like you're following Eggsy and Galahad. They're the reason you're watching. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's more of just sort of like a plot point. Like, they, they need funds and resources somehow. They can't do all this on their own, so let's just make another organization for them to go to. But I liked the the sort of reveal and how it, they you know, the, these doomsday uh, safes for each organization that points to the other. I thought that was a cool little thing. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I just sort of, you know, you always wonder what kind of, in this world, what other type of spy organizations could there be, since we're based in, you know, the UK, what would the American one be like? And, you know, it plays to a lot of American stereotypes, and, you know, the, the America's the greatest thing in the world. Like, even the people in the bar, 
Yeah. Like the assholes in the bar. I was like, yep, that definitely seems like Southern people to me. <laughs> southern stereotypes. So, yeah, I, I, that was all kind of fun to me. I liked how they set all that up and the organization I thought was a good counterpoint to what the, uh, like, you know, they talk about how the, the people that formed the organization went in the whiskey business and stuff like that. And the other guys were the tailors. Yeah. So I thought that was fun. Which I think maybe that's one of the only, not the only, but a strong reason why I wouldn't mind having a third organization introduced to some degree in another sequel is to kind of see like what kind of cover culture have they developed? What, you know, what, what public persona are they hiding behind? Well, then the question remains, what third organization would you like to see? Where would they be based out of? Um, I mean, maybe just cause it would be the most quaint and funny to watch. I mean, you got to go Canadian, right? <laughs> just a bunch of people on Mounties. Yeah. Either that, or I mean, I mean, it would be like people who like own a hockey team or like a maple <laughs> syrup farm. I like the hockey team idea. I think that would actually work pretty well. Um, I mean that I think that would be fun. I think I think And they'll you, be the nicest organization ever. Right? <laughs> like I don't care. Like I somehow like you could get Seth Rogen in that movie. <laughs> you should just they just hire a lot of like actual Canadians. Oh yeah. Nathan Fillion is the only one that comes to mind off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> um and then just like yeah, like they could have just like a bunch like a, a, a gross amount of Canadian cameos. Yes. comes through like they're they're like they just have random jobs at that office's that organization's office like you go through and like oh look there's um you know michael j fox and jim carrey <laughs> that'd be amazing yeah you're winning me over on this idea now i want to see this i'm going to be disappointed if it's not in the next one <laughs> well i mean because if you think about it like if they do if if they did at least another english-speaking country like ireland or australia I feel like it would maybe get, it would get too stereotypical. Like the, okay. as, as, as easy as it is to go to like Kentucky in America where <laughs> the cowboys are with their whiskey. There's a lot of different American tropes that you could go to that American audience would recognize and identify with. If you're showing this to a predominantly English-speaking market, Eng- you know, in Great Britain and in America, etc., and you go to somewhere like in- like Ireland or Australia, I hate to say it, Americans don't, and I'm I'm one of them to some extent in this regard. We don't really know a lot about other places, <laughs> so yeah. Other than really, really stereotypical stuff in some of those other countries, um. It would it would get really simple, I think, to the point of over parody, whereas Canada, you could still keep it comical, but quaint enough that we could. I, I don't know. It, it, it wouldn't seem as cartoony. Yeah. Um. So I, I could definitely see it going there. I mean, if they went really out of the box and went to. Like Japan, Russia, somewhere in like the Eastern block of Europe. <laughs> I mean, really surprised me. Like, hey, sure, go for it. Um, I'd actually like to see them because the first, uh, the first, this one and the first movie basically were like world ending events just by like random, you know, some random villain somewhere. Yeah. I wouldn't mind to see them go against a rival spy organization. 
Ooh. I like it. I think I think that would I mean I guess you could still do your like world ending subplot or yeah. you know plot of the movie or something like that, but there there has to be a rival organization to these spy organizations. I just don't know where they'd be or or you know you know what they'd be trying to do. That's something for the writers to figure out, but <laughs> I'll plant that little nugget for you people. You just give me a good story out of that. Yeah, we're 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 store we we get the story credits on the movies, not the screenplay. Yeah. We we crack with the whiteboard. We we bring out the right whiteboard, start writing down <laughs> ideas. It's your job to make it work. Exactly. Um, you did kind of touch on uh Merlin's death. Do we want to dive into that at all? Because I was, I thought that was handled like a lot better. Again, than the only other death I can compare it to is Roxy's. Yeah. Obviously, Merlin got some screen time and some time to develop, and that was a little bit more impactful. I did like that. And I, I didn't really recognize it until maybe like after the movie, but the like he keeps bringing up John Denver, yeah, in Country Road, and that song is like worked into the score of the movie, yes, which I didn't realize why until of course the end of the movie, but yes, I, I appreciated that. Um, yeah, I thought it was well. I mean, to some degree, I kind of saw it coming, um, but even then, like the. There was, I, I think there was something about the fact that they actually drew that scene out a little bit that made it work. Which scene? The, the actual death scene? The actual death, yeah. Like, from the mo- okay. from the moment where he takes over and has to hold that landmine. Yeah. If it had just been, like, 20 seconds of, no, you go, and, you know, I'll be able to create a distraction for you. And there goes Merlin, nobly <laughs> sacrificing himself. The fact that kept going and going and he like hacks the bushes out of his way and the soldiers slowly approach him and he headbutts one of them and knocks them out and the others take their time and approach and he starts to sing and like it, it actually worked better you know i like that scene one of the thoughts that occurred to me during that scene was like he visibly looks over to his left and right and nods to someone yeah and, and the guards aren't like who are you talking to nope <laughs> nope and he does it more than once. Yeah, I know. Like, they keep cutting back. He does it, like, three or four times. Like, I get that. It works for the audience. It's your emotional tie to this character and what everyone's seeing and stuff. I get that. I it, For emotional impact, it works. Yep. For the logic sense of, like, what these guards are thinking and what they're seeing and, like, logically, they there's, there's got to be other people in the woods with them. Yeah, that, that <laughs> kind of fell flat. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, there's definitely a large degree of uh, suspension of disbelief here that right. you have to go with. And that's the thing. Like, I I feel like I'm I'm bitching and moaning about a lot of stuff in this movie. I'm with you. Overall, I really enjoyed this movie. This is not one I'm trying to skip. This is not one I'm going to avoid. I'm going to own this and look forward to the next one if they do another one. Absolutely. Um, and actually, I think we something we didn't hit on towards the end that um, like the way that the fight splits up at the end where it's well, for a while, it's like Colin Firth versus the dogs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but then it's, you know, Eggsy versus uh, Charlie again. Yeah. Um, I thought their fight, like their one-on-one fight was actually really cool. Yeah, Eggsy and Charlie was good. I kind of feel bad for Colin Firth. All he did was run around and fall down against a computer-animated dog. Um, he, There wasn't too much there. No, um, he did it well. That's true, true. <laughs> he he sold me on the idea that... that it was really happening. 
But like you think of like the church scene with him yeah. from the first one, and he gets nothing like that in this movie. No, and I think they kind of, you know, that's why they maybe tried to make the, like the last fight with uh, the three of like the two of them with whiskey a little bit more like over the top and yeah animated and whatnot. Um, because I, there's really no scene like that for anybody in the movie. Yeah. There's there's not like because because I, I I even though. Even if you take that scene out of the first movie, overall, I still would have liked the first movie and thought it was really cool. But the addition of that, and it just keeps going on and on and yeah. on, and it keeps like changing styles of how the camera's moving, and like it goes from close up to wide and circles around this area, and maybe goes like first person to Colin Firth, and then it maybe looks like it's like you know strapped, like the camera was like strapped to his chest, and you're just like following his face around and it's like it just kept like that was that was such a standout scene in that movie that you didn't get anything like that in this one that really blew you away yeah because it, 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 things I it took like you by surprise that, if nothing else yeah yeah and that, like you said that's the one that stands out of the first one and i don't think that part of it i think even like the the song choice there i think the song choice for that scene in the church in the first one like everything is hitting on all cylinders for that scene and it works so well. One, there's no fight scene that I think lives up to that bar Mm -hmm. that the first one that, you know, that church scene does. And two, there's no songs that stand out to me too much during the course of this movie. The only one that I think that kind of, it was like, Oh, okay. I I like the use of that. There was the one with, uh, Eggsy, Harry and whiskey was the like country remix of word up. Yeah. Where it kind of, like it, it wasn't, but it wasn't the full. It was like the beat it kind of, of kept the actual song. Yeah, it was like the the sample of the song, but like with the redneck country version sang over top of it. Yeah, and then like the te- with a little bit of twangy guitar and stuff in there too. Yeah, but then like it wasn't like the composition, like it was only at certain times. It would like apply those extra elements, and then it would kind of pull back and go to like right. another like slightly altered version of it oddly enough i was really pissed off that like after this movie i'm like i'm gonna get that song i went to look at the soundtrack and it's, it's just the there. instrumental stuff it's they don't have like <laughs> you figure with all the freaking elton john songs they have in here that they would have a soundtrack <laughs> with like elton john on there <laughs> but no so that's the, so if you really want that song you can't find it anywhere and if you do find it please let me know what it is and where to find it because i want it well uh tweet to uh 20th century fox and you know you know just just like i don't think that marvel thought that people would have um enjoyed the music element to guardians of the galaxy the first time around that they on the i, th- I don't think they ha- ever had plans initially to you know release the album as a soundtrack like oh here's the soundtrack of the movie here's all the songs we used once they realize, like, hey, exit interviews and fan reaction, like, oh, people really dig this quickly. Let's put these deals together. Let's release this. Yeah. Maybe Fox will do that. Maybe they'll at least, maybe they don't have a full album to put out, but, you know, maybe they'll throw up a couple songs on iTunes or something. I mean, I feel like they're, like, even just soundtracks in general, I feel like they're few and far between now for movies. I don't know if just there's no interest for them. I mean, the only one that really stands out to me recently is Baby Driver, but Baby yeah. Driver was built around that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we've said this before, but, you know, the idea of the, you know, original motion picture soundtrack of, like, originally composed music, especially, just for that movie, nobody cares anymore. 
Well, I feel like you're you're more likely to find like again the like you said the instrumental orchestra versions of soundtracks now than actually soundtracks that have you know specific songs by an artist that are you know various artists on there with different songs that were played during the movie. Mm-hmm. All the stuff that you see in the credits that was like this song was used here, this song was used there. They don't make soundtracks with those songs anymore. It seems like at least I'm just maybe it's the movies I'm looking for that I can't find them, but. I don't know. I digress. <laughs> um, anything? I'm trying to see if there's anything else we want to talk about. Um, I don't know if it's something we want to touch on, but uh, I've seen a lot of people complaining about like a gratuitous sex scene in this movie. Um, which I didn't think was as bad as I think people were making it out to be. No, honestly, I mean, I guess like if it wasn't there, like it, it still could have been um much more implied as opposed to even the bit that they do portray but i don't think like i've seen way more um unnecessary sequences in movies you watched 50 shades 50 shades of gray didn't you um i won't say that i didn't <laughs> Uh, no, I never have. God, no. <laughs> um, no, um, I don't know. I, I didn't, I, I, not that I'm saying I, I think those people are stupid for thinking that, but I, I don't agree. I think maybe it was just like all the headlines were like, that was after the early screenings and like right before opening weekend, that was the headlines I was reading was like, Seriously? oh, this, has this gone too far? So what? it like got me expecting some weird ass thing. And I was like, that's, there's not even like nudity in it. No, and honestly, I, I even said to Sarah that since effectively the anal joke at the end of the oh, first right. one is like so associated with that movie. Yeah, well, above all the other stuff. Um, When they get into the plot points during this, during this second one where they're like, oh, this will need to be inserted and not in the nose. <laughs> that's where I thought they were going again. Oh, I got you. Like, I thought that's what they were implying because it was like a callback to that joke. And so it could I actually been. think they made a callback to that joke earlier before that. They do. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, for what they did, it wasn't like, watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> watch Outlander. Like, some of these, like, take, um... Uh, like True Blood, like if if they thought that was like too much or graphic or so, like good God, like you, you, no offense, you must be a bit uptight or a bit of a prude. I don't know what else you're watching that this is like shocking to you. Yeah, I feel like the only reason it's like a big thing is because the camera's like right there. Yeah, I guess. But the majority of it, I feel like, is CG. Like yeah. I don't even know if that hand is real. Uh, I don't know why it would bother somebody who is enjoying these two movies the things that I would guess are the reason they like them why does that bother you so much yeah I don't know like, take like the, everyone's so desensitized to violence that suddenly sex is like oh that's a bad thing we can't show people sex I, I, we're fine with blowing people's heads off I guess and I don't even know I'm going there it's just like obviously the movie right like we said at the beginning like it doesn't take itself seriously it's it is that, like, you know, Earth 2 version of 
James Bond where it can be <laughs> silly and it can be a little vulgar. Maybe to put that on the poster. Earth 2 <laughs> version of James Bond. Um, you know, like, that's what it is. And, like, if you saw the first movie, you know it has that sensibility. And, like I said, it, what, what they showed wasn't even... Yeah, like, I don't... Like, if you're okay with all the language and the violence and the like over the top exaggerated nature of everything in these movies like what about that for lack of a better you know no pun intended rubbed you the wrong way <laughs> it was a pretty good pun um yeah i don't know if i actually read the articles i was just seeing headlines pop up everywhere like a couple days before release mm-hmm. and yeah I, I expected some weird gratuitous thing but it, it wasn't that so i don't know again i don't know if my expectations were just led in a direction from those headlines that I was expecting something else. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I don't see the big deal, but I don't know. So, you know, people just like to complain about shit anymore. So who the hell knows? Uh, I have a couple other quick little bullet points, but I don't think there's anything else you want to touch on because I'm sort of wrapping it up, I guess, at this point. Yeah, no worries. Go right ahead. Uh, quick little question. Favorite gadget in the movie? Ooh. Um,. Well, I feel like this one maybe wasn't as it didn't introduce a whole lot of new stuff that the first one had that I caught. Um, I do kind of like Whiskey's electrified death lasso thing. Yeah, that's where I was going to the retractable whip that can turn electric. Yeah, like something. It's a lightsaber, but it's like yes. a whip. Yes. It's, it's... Yeah, it's not so much electric as it. Yeah, it pretty much is because just because you put electricity through something it doesn't mean it's gonna slice a body in half like a laser right <laughs> it's indiana jones needs one of those that's all i'm saying oh i would totally watch that movie like, <laughs> like re remake crystal skull with that as and an just element. give him that weapon <laughs> oh yeah I will, i'll watch the hell out of that <laughs> um all right so we sort of did talk about like predictions for kingsman 3 and if we think that'll happen so we covered that um I do just want to talk because we've talked a little bit about just comparisons between this and James Bond. Mm-hmm. So at this point, would you rather see another Kingsman movie or another James Bond movie? Um, With the things that I've heard that would be part of a next Indiana Jones movie, meaning still having to have Steven Spielberg directing and probably George... know, James, James Bond, Kingsman movie or James, James Bond. Bond. Sorry. I'm still stuck on Indiana Jones and Crystal Skull. <laughs> that whip. You can't you can't leave that whip. Oh no. Um can we give James Bond a whip? Uh regular whip. <sighs> okay, he might be able to do so. Well, you know what? Like a Bond secondary villain might be able to do something cool with a whip. That's true. So that's true. Okay, maybe that's still a possibility. <laughs> um Well, I guess well, uh, maybe my thoughts are along the same lines. I mean, after Spectre, um, I'm probably more excited to see another Kingsman or, 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 or at least I, I would be, I, I would care to see that first. If another right, Bond, yeah. I mean, I, I think I've said this, you know, on previous shows, I have, I did not grow up watching the Bond movies. I've seen the Daniel Craig's and I think two of the Pierce Brosnan's and I'm kind of still catching up from the old ones. I watched like the first three Sean Connery's. So I don't necessarily have as much of a history with them. I don't have as much of an attachment to them. And um, 
from what I have seen in the last couple chapters, other other than Skyfall, where I thought that was just a well-made movie, regardless of it being part of this like long anthology and the multiple chapters and all that, um, the other Daniel Craig movies I didn't really see necessarily like wowed me. They didn't like bring something new that I hadn't seen from other franchises, other stories, right. other other filmmaking. Um, whereas Kingsman, I, I would very much say did. So if it's, you know, would I like to see Kingsman three before the next James Bond? Yeah, I would. Yeah. I'm a, I'm along the same lines. I'm thinking like after watching this movie and then watching like Spectre, which franchise I'd rather see the next installment of and it's Kingsman. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think Kingsman has a better chance of doing something fun, interesting and different. Craig's James Bonds are good. They're they're hit or miss. He's two two out of four, I think, that are good. Casino Royale and, and Skyfall are good. Quantum and Spectre, nah, okay. <laughs> um, so I don't know what we'll get with the the next one he's supposed to be in, but I I have more. Uh, I'm, I'm expecting Kingsman to do more things different and exciting that would hold my attention more. I think than the next James Bond movie. Yeah, but I guess that being said, like. James Bond is a franchise that has lasted for what 25 20 20 some movies. I think it's getting to 25. Yeah, I think the next one is 25, yeah. Um so it's adapted like every every couple years it it or even sometimes even movie to movie it just follows trends. Mm-hmm. Like Craig's James Bond is adapted from Jason Bourne. That's the kind of style they're going for for these bonds. So if Kingsman proves successful and brings back that fun gadgety element to the spy genre. Do you think after Craig is done, we'll get a James Bond movie that sort of falls back in line with that? Uh, good point. Um, I mean, maybe I, I, I can't ever see them shooting some of the fight sequences or action sequences with the camera styles that they do in, in this one. Um, the way that they rotate, the way they come in and out, the way they are close up on the actors. Um, nah, I, I don't, I don't know if they'd ever draw from much from the sensibilities of this. Well, I'm saying, I'm thinking more kind of maybe like tone, like less like depressing. Like I'm, <laughs> I don't want to kill Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Craig's James Bond is a lot more brooding. I think than a lot of other James Bonds that have oh, been definitely. out there. Um, and it's definitely taking a more realistic approach to it where there's a lot less gadgets that were, you know, a hallmark for James Bond in the earlier films and stuff like that. He was all gadgeted out, gadgeted out. And I think if, you know, something like Kingsman that uses those things in their movie that people enjoy, if Bond is looking for something to emulate, this is something that's close to, you know, what they've done before. I feel like they could, cause I don't think it, it doesn't make sense to do the next Daniel Craig movie and start bringing these elements into that movie after that tone has already been established for four movies. True. I think they have to wait to recast Bond again before they try to reboot the tone and the way the universe is done. But I I think if you want to get at least me a little bit more interested in that franchise, I think bringing the gadgets and the fun tone back into James Bond, I think would be, would be because I've seen, not that I've seen a lot of, or that I can remember a lot of Roger Moore, James Bond, but I've seen Kingsman compared to the tone and style of Roger Moore type James Bonds that are a little bit more campy and don't take itself as seriously. And that's the type of tone I guess I can see them trying to go with for another James Bond eventually. Okay. 
So yeah, I think something like that could be fun. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Cause I don't know. How, I don't actually know. Is Craig signed on for one more or two more? Cause I've heard different reports. Uh, I believe just one more. Okay. That's what I, that's what I was going with, but all right. So we'll get bond 25 and then we'll see what they do after that and how quickly they recast bond. And hopefully that one, we'll see a little bit different stuff going on. See if we'll see how closely at that point it resembles Kingsman. And if it's something worth talking about. Yeah. Uh, all right, so final thoughts on the movie, and we'll try to give it a score out of 10. What do you think? Um, like I said, sequels always have heavy lifting to do. Um, I think I would give it a 7. I don't think it failed horribly in any um, major areas. Um, it maybe didn't raise the bar anywhere in in the way that the first one seemed innovative i mean it, it's always hard follow not only do sequels have a hurdle to get over to begin with but especially when it's a sequel to something that absolutely looked original and very different where do you go from there so it had a hard task ahead of itself and i think just because it didn't make like an extra leap to somewhere else it didn't go higher but i'd definitely give it a good seven yeah, I actually think I'm going to agree with a lot of what you just said. And that I was looking at 7-2, I think, for my score. Again, I feel like I'm nitpicking, but nitpicking is different than, like, outright hating a movie. I, I think I don't, I don't want to get that confused or anything. I did like this movie. I think it's on par with the first one. The first one, I think, is still better to me. I think it did a lot more things right. And like Josh was saying, I think it was the first of its kind, so it stood out a lot more than this one. Mm-hmm. This one hit my expectations like it's it's what i expected to see in a movie like this but like like you said it didn't i didn't feel like it did too much different or anything that really stood out to me that was like oh okay yeah that's the less logical step for the way this is going to go uh but again that being said i am fully looking forward to if they do a third one i am i will be there opening weekend for that one too and that will probably make my anticipated list if they announce that too same so yeah we're giving a solid solid c grade yeah i think so yes um right so i think that's uh where we'll wrap it up for this one uh hopefully you've enjoyed another one of our movie reviews we'll see i don't know what's coming up to try to do another one of these i feel like we probably won't hit anything until like november uh big ones maybe it depends i I mean there's a lot of good horror movies coming out in october and if i know that's not your wheelhouse but yeah i can't can't want to contribute anything um, (laughs) i mean there's there's a lot of good ones the the jigsaw uh, Saw reboot, re-entry is that this year? Up. Yeah, that that's the uh, the Friday before Halloween. Oh wow! Um, okay. There's a really cool crime thriller called The Snowman in October. Uh, oh, Fastbender. Yep. There's a Leatherface, uh, Texas Chainsaw kind of origins. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> there, um, but to the degree that like these actually look really well done. Like if you're a horror fan, these look really well done. So I think they're gonna be cool. So if anybody wants to jump on and tear those apart with me um we can definitely do that otherwise yeah i think it's going to be till like thor is the beginning of november justice league is there yeah those are the two big ones in november that i can think of and they're like two weeks apart so mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get the movie review and then we'll cover something else and then movie review that's the way it's going to be in november <laughs> and i think I, if the rumors are true from what i've been seeing we're going to get another star wars trailer on october 9th during monday night football Oh, so in two weeks' time, we might be that. talking about another Star Wars trailer. 
Really, I don't watch the game. I just watch YouTube and like refresh and refresh and refresh until it pops up. <laughs> yeah, I was say I, I'll I'll you text me once it's available, and I'll go. Oh, believe me, I'll be posting that exa- everywhere as soon as it's up. <laughs> exactly. You you tell me you text me and tell me, hey, I posted it, and then I'll I'll watch it because I'm not even gonna suffer through any of that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's something. At least something. If the, if the rumors are true, that hopefully we'll cover in the next couple of weeks and see what we can do for there. As of next week, I don't know. We'll I'll wing it and see see what we come up with. I got nothing on tap right now. Uh, so that's it for this. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, please stop by iTunes, leave us a five star rating and review. Be sure to share, subscribe, favorite the show wherever you find us. Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash superfriends uh, and you can send us questions there. Any types of comments you have for the show, topic suggestions, anything like that. Uh, we are also available through email, bryguysuperfriends at gmail.com, or you can tweet us on Twitter at bgsuperfriends, which I just found out the other day that you now can have 280 characters or 260 characters for Twitter now instead of 160. Oh, God. Do you know how bad that is going to be for the literature <laughs> of this country? <laughs> that Well, that's true. <laughs> I was just starting to think, like, I can put so many hashtags when I post the podcast on Twitter now. Because <laughs> I can only ever fit, like, one or two before I run out of characters. You can, so that, that's, that's where you see. You see more hashtag real estate. That's right. Nice. <laughs> Not that it makes a difference, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> uh, all right. So on behalf of Josh and myself, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.